Would you please pray with me? Open our eyes that we might see the wonderful things in your word. Incline our hearts to the things of eternity. Cause this book to live. And may it give us hope and encouragement. And may you be glorified, Lord Jesus, through the preaching of your word, through your people becoming drenched in, their tr- in the truths of your word. And Lord, if there's anybody listening today that is outside of Christ and outside of hope, we pray, Father, that they would be drawn sweetly to yourself and be saved. For in Christ's name we pray. Amen. In the last few weeks, we've been on a journey through John's Gospel, and particularly chapter 11. And the previous messages in chapter 11 have been bringing us to this point, a point that you're all familiar with. In fact, many of you would have heard, read, studied the raising of Lazarus uh, many times. It's a dear and familiar passage of Scripture. And of course, we've been heading towards that momentous event when Christ will call forth the dead. John is the only one that has this story in his epistle. One might ask the question, why did the other evangelists not include it? Or perhaps a better question is, why does John think it's important? Well, one of the ways that John has structured his gospel is that he has taken the reader through various signs, various signs, starting with the miracle of Jesus changing water in Cana of Galilee. Those who study the book often come up with seven signs, seven being a number of completion. And this is the seventh sign. We learn that in the next chapter, in verses 17 and 18 of chapter 20. We learn that this, in fact, is one of those signs. And at the end of John's Gospel, he tells us one of the reasons why he includes in his Gospel these signs. And that is that we might know that Jesus is the Christ and that we might have faith in him and live. That we might know and that we might believe. This story is also important to John because it forms uh, a kickstarter, if you will. That's not a great term, but a kickstarter into the next chapter. In the next chapter, we're going to find that the plot of Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin to murder Jesus is hatched. And therefore, as this story progresses, it, it, it actually feeds that next event. It is because of 
what Jesus does here, that the decision to kill him is made by these folks. Ironically, then, the resurrection of Lazarus leads to the death of Jesus. Isn't that ironic? The resurrection of Lazarus leads to the death of Jesus. This morning, I'm preaching from John chapter 11, verses 38 to 44. And I'd invite you to join me as I read. That's John chapter 11, verse 33 to 40, or 38 to 44. 38 to 44. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. We note at the beginning of this passage that Jesus arrives at the tomb still very agitated, still troubled, still angry in spirit, angry at the effects of sin upon the people he loves, perturbed, repulsed by it. This is not the way God planned it. God had planned that man would be created and be image bearers of God. <clears throat> he told mankind to go into all the world, propagate the world, multiply, show forth his glory throughout the world. But that never happened. No, sin came into the world. And when sin came in, death. And Jesus is repulsed by God's, the fact that God's plan has not been followed through. And the effect of sin on people's lives is very disturbing. He arrives at the tomb, and there he meets the offensive, repulsive odor of a body that has been dead for four days. He comes but he comes to raise Lazarus back to life. Obviously, Martha <clears throat> had not fully understood all that Jesus had said. He had said to her, your brother will live again. But she doesn't quite get it, but she will. Beloved, there are three things that I want to bring out of this passage that I think are important before Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Three very important truths that I believe will encourage your heart.
The first one I get from verse 40. I've entitled it, Did I Not Tell You? Did I Not Tell You? Verse 40 reads this way. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? Actually, there's no record of Jesus actually saying those words to Martha. There's no record where he says, you will see the glory of God. But there are some things he did say to her. He said to her, your brother will live again. And he said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will not, will not die. Jesus, I believe, has taken the statements that he made to Martha and summarized them this way. Martha, what I'm telling you, by telling you that your brother will live again, by telling you that I'm the resurrection and the life, Martha, what I'm telling you is that you will see the glory of God. Combined with all he said, together it says one thing to Martha and one thing to us. We will witness the glory of God. And here's the point. It's a very simple point. This is not a terribly profound message, but it's an important message. Here's the point. It is God's glory to raise to life all who have faith in him. Isn't that an important truth? It is to God's glory to raise to life all who have faith in him. In other words, if God does not follow through with his promise to raise to life those who have trusted him as Savior, his glory is diminished. In fact, he will cease to be God. It is to the glory of God to bring to life eternal life, forever life, those who have trusted in him. It is for his glory the resurrection occurs. It is for his glory that the dead will be raised to life. And if that doesn't happen, God ceases to be glorified and he ceases to be God. We can have this assurance this morning that the God who says to us, if you believe in me, though you die, yet shall you live. It is to his glory to accomplish that. Secondly, the phrase that I've captured as a second significant point is found in verse 41. The phrase is, you have heard me. You have heard me. Notice verses, actually verses 41 and 42 of John 11. So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on the account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus is stating what he already uh, 
had a conversation with Martha and already said, Martha said to him, I know your father hears you. I know your father hears you. Jesus, at some previous point in time, either minutes before or, or, or even hours before, or maybe days before, had prayed to the Father that he would empower Lazarus to come out of the grave. And so as Jesus approaches this empty tomb, or not empty tomb, I'm sorry, as Jesus approaches this tomb that will soon be empty, he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Here he prayed publicly. He points out that he doesn't pray so that his prayer will be answered. He didn't pray publicly because public prayer is more fervent or more effective. He prayed publicly so that those listening would hear him pray and perhaps some would come to faith in him. Some would really understand that this event that's about to take place was by divine miracle. This event that took, was about to take place is because the Father heard the prayer of the Son and he answered. The first point that I wanted to emphasize in this passage to you is that God is glorified when those who have faith in him are brought to eternal life, resurrected and brought to eternal life. The second point is this, that God the Father always answers the prayer of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. The Father always answers the prayer of Jesus Christ, our Savior. The third point that I want to make, uh, bring to your attention is verse 43. And again, I capture the phrase, the words, cried with a loud voice. Cried with a loud voice. In, in verse 43 we read, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And in verse 44, we read, the man came out. He cried with a loud voice. I want you to notice the words that are recorded in this gospel just a few chapters back. In John chapter 5, verse 25, we read, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. The dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. And in verse 28 of chapter 5, he repeats, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. The late Dr. R.C. Sproul has said uh, rather humorously and wryly, he said, It's a good thing that when Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. It's a good thing he used Lazarus, because if he had just said, come out, every tomb would have broken free and people would have been raised. We don't know if that's to be true, but it's an interesting speculation. Jesus was specific, Lazarus, come out. 
The power of Christ's voice, the power of Christ's voice can raise the dead. All he has to do is speak, and the dead will rise. I remember the, the events portrayed in the book of Ezekiel, when Ezekiel was brought to a valley, and he saw a valley full of dead people, and only the bones were left. And God said to him, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. That's a good way to answer God, by the way. Then he said to me, Prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, because, behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Prophesy over these bones, hear the word of the Lord, and they shall live. Here's the point. There is life-giving, life-sustaining power in the voice of the Lord. There is life-giving power to the word of Christ. In summary, what this story has taught me and what I'm wanting to share with you is that the raising of Lazarus displayed the power of Christ's word. That's the first thing. The raising of Lazarus displayed the power of Christ's word. It also displayed the infallibility of Christ's prayers. The raising of Lazarus displayed the power of Christ's words, and it also displayed the infallibility of his prayers. And it also established that the glory of God is the goal of the resurrection. What a glorious thing it is to hear of someone being resurrected from the dead as Lazarus was. What a glorious thing it is for you and I as believers to anticipate someday we will fall asleep in Jesus, but at the voice of his command, our grave will open up and we will be united with our soul and we shall forever live with the less glorious thing. But these events, more importantly, point to the glory of Jesus himself. They point to the glory of Christ the resurrection points to the glory of Christ. John Calvin notes this. Not only did Christ give a remarkable proof of his divine power in raising Lazarus, but he likewise placed before our eyes a lively image of our future resurrection. In other words, Calvin could see here, as we have known, that not only does this place before us the remarkable proof of Christ's power to raise from the dead, but it also gives us insight into our own 
resurrection. Please note as I apply this to you and I this morning, I want you to again go back to that one of my points that I've brought to your attention. Number one, I want you to notice the infallibility of the prayers of Jesus. And I want you to consider with me just one prayer that we have recorded of Jesus in John chapter 17. Just over a few pages to John chapter 17 and verse 24. Jesus is praying to the Father. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. That's a prayer of Jesus. And I've established this truth that every prayer of Jesus will be answered by the Father. And here he's praying, Father, those you have given me, may they be with me where I am and share in my glory. That phrase, all you have given me, or those you have given me, we've already established back from John's Gospel, chapter 6, we've already established that this is in regard to the elect of God. These are the people that have been drawn to the Son. These are the people whom the Father gives eternal life. These are the people who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. These are the people that have heard his voice and are following him. These people, all that the Father has given to the Son, these people, Jesus prays, I pray that they will be with me where I am and share in my glory. Jesus prays that we Christians who have faith in Christ, who are walking in obedience, who are born of the Spirit, who, are be- who belong to him, we, Jesus prays, would be with him where he is. Now let me ask you a question. There's only one right answer. But let me ask you a question. Do you think there's anything in the heaven or earth whereby God the Father would not answer the prayer of his Son? If I only had one point to hang on to, in my assurance of salvation. If I could only give you one promise of eternal security, it would be this one. Jesus prays, all that you have given me, may they be with me where I am and share in my glory. There is not a power in the world. There is not a force There is nothing that would prohibit the Father from answering the Son's prayer. Secondly, I want you to turn your thoughts now from the infallibility of Jesus' prayer 
to his second coming. Christ's second coming, according to the passage we read at the beginning of the service, at Christ's second coming will be the resurrection. At his second coming, the dead will live. In fact, 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 and 17, clearly identify this. We read in this, in that account, 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of a command, with the voice of an archangel, the trumpet of, sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Someday there's going to be a life-giving cry, a life-giving voice from heaven, a voice that can make the dead rise and give life to them. The dead will come to life. If you, my friend, or myself are to die in Christ, there's a day coming when we will be awakened, when our body will be united with our soul, and no, uni no, no voice in the universe will be able to stop it. When that cry from heaven comes, all who are in their graves will come forth and the dead in Christ will rise. Oh, there's such power in the voice of our Savior. There's such glorious power. Lastly, again, still thinking of the second coming of, the, of our Lord in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, we read these words. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who believe. When Christ comes again and raises to life all who have believed, he will be glorified, just like he said to Martha. He will be glorified with his saints. Remember what I said, it is to God's glory to raise the dead. So, beloved, on this Resurrection Sunday, let us take heart. Christ's prayer that all who are in him will be with him forever will be answered. Beloved, remember that at his coming, his voice will indeed raise the dead. And remember, beloved, he will be glorified, and we will share in that glory forever and ever. So what are we to do? Well, Paul gives the answer in 1 Thessalonians 4 when he speaks of this. He says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. 
May it be encouragement to you today that there is power in the voice of God. There is power in the voice of our Savior. Power to raise the dead. May you be encouraged today that the prayers of Jesus will be answered. When he prays for you and I, as he intercedes for you and I, they will be answered. And let us be encouraged that even as Christ is glorified in the resurrection of his people, we will share in that glory forever and ever and ever and ever. But perhaps you're listening this morning on this Easter Sunday and you're not a Christian. You're not a Christian. Perhaps you fall within the category when Paul, as Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians 1, you're one of those people. You do not know God and you do not obey the gospel. You fall within that category. You do not love the truth. You notice I said, I didn't ask you, I mean, or I didn't speak of you as a person who goes to church, does good deeds, is a good community citizen, helps one another, loves his or her family. I didn't ask that. Jesus says, if you don't know me and you don't obey my gospel, then you're not saved. You're not a Christian. What does it mean to obey the gospel? It means to repent and to put your faith in the promises of the gospel. What are those promises? What are those promises that Jesus wants us to hear and embrace? Well, the promise, first of all, is that because he came to this earth and lived a perfect life, he promises to impute his perfection, to transfer his perfection onto all who believe in him. This is called in the Bible justification. Because of the perfect life and righteousness of Christ, those who put their faith in him, he gives to you his righteousness. Secondly, he promises to forgive all your sin. This same Jesus went to Calvary's cross, and when he died, he actually died for those who believe and put their faith in him, and he died for all their sins. Another promise that comes with the gospel is that those who put their trust in Christ will receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will come and live within. He will bind you to other believers in the church. You will be one with other Christians in the church, but more importantly, he will enable you to understand God's word. He will enable you to live for him and to live a life that pleases him. Another promise in the gospel, as I've already intimated, that this same Jesus is coming again. And he's going to bring judgment on those who are not saved, 
those who have not obeyed the gospel, but to those who have, he's going to carry together with himself, and we will live forever with Christ on a new heaven and a new earth and enjoy his glorious presence forever and ever. The gospel says to you this morning, repent, turn from yourself, turn from the ways that you're living, turn from your self-centeredness, turn from your pride, humble yourself, and turn to Jesus Christ and put your faith and trust in him who died and rose again on the third day, who promises good news to you who believe. And it's my prayer that you will do that today, that you'll trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and that you will enjoy the blessings of following him both now and into eternity. May I pray with you as we close. Most gracious God and Heavenly Father, indeed we thank you we thank you that we have a Savior who prays for us, and we thank you that his prayers are guaranteed to be answered. We thank you that he himself has the power to raise the dead. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that all this will glorify him, and we, will, we who are in Christ will enjoy his glory forever and ever. Heavenly Father, we look forward to that glory. We look forward to being with Christ and experiencing that amazing glory. Heavenly Father, I would ask you by your Holy Spirit, if anyone who's listening to this message has not, has not trusted Christ, has not experienced that new birth whereby faith is expressed and obedience is lived out, I pray that you would speak to them now, draw them now, convict them now, and draw them to the Savior, and they might believe and they might live. This I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.